The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And I thought maybe this morning, because uh, especially for some of you, it's really a different kind of training we've been doing these last two weeks, last Sunday and then this Sunday, um, because often the teachers here at Common Ground were uh, not always, but often using you know, what we'd call a more open awareness practice where you know, we may have a meditation object, but if something else predominant arises, then the wisdom in the mind notices, well, that's being known now, and now this is being known. And the continuity of present moment awareness isn't dependent on just one object. But like I've been saying these last few weeks and probably for another week or two, it's really at times, and not just once in your meditation life, but, you know, once a year, even a couple times a year, just take up a more exclusive meditation object because it really will reflect back to you um, certain things about the continuity of present moment awareness. We can, in other words, fool ourselves or tell ourselves, yeah, I'm being mindful, but we're actually lost in thought. But when we use a more exclusive object of meditation, we know when the mind is wandering because it's not with that meditation object. We're not aware of the in-breath or the out-breath, right? So it doesn't matter how good the thought is or appropriate or whatever, the mind has wandered because at least we should have known we weren't with our meditation object, right? But we didn't. So that means there was some real wavering in the continuity of present moment awareness. So let's take some questions and also just comments both from your sit today, but also during this last week, when you've had that intention in your mind to just use a singular object of meditation, what success, what frustration, what have you learned, what have you seen, what's interrupted the continuity of awareness, and any questions that might have come up. And remember, when we use this mic, you have to point it horizontally, right at your mouth, pretty close, then we'll all be able to hear you. Yeah, and we do record on Sunday mornings. Yeah, you want to start, Julia? Straight in the back. Hi, I'm Julia. So first, thank you for this instruction uh, last week. Um, I have found using the breath impossible in practice up until this point because it felt sort of hypnotic to me. So I had my eyes closed and I would be following the breath and then I would kind of fall asleep or get zoned out or whatever. But somehow your instruction of the, that beautiful phrase, bring the attention to the four or establish mindfulness, mm-hmm. there's something very, I don't know what it is about that, but it's helpful. So that first. And then um, yoga is kind of a problem with this for me. So like in yoga, right, where's this ujjayi breath thing and, you're supposed to control your breath and all of that. So that felt like a barrier to me with breath practice as well, sitting um, in the training. So I think those were the two things that felt difficult, but somehow your, your instruction last week changed that a little bit for me. And so I did practice with it last week. And um, there is this lovely the body is being breathed for the, like I experienced that for the first time Um, and just sort of allowing and observing the body being breathed. 
And then this idea of, man, if I can observe the breath without attachment and I can train with that, then like, what else can I observe in my life without attachment? Like, not to get too attached to that idea, but... Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) But that's the idea, right? (laughs) So I'm really grateful for this instruction and I'm going to continue to work with it. We're making it a like a beautiful friend that because we've trained with it, we know how to be aware of this beautiful friend, the, the normal physicality breathing in and out. We know how to be aware of it without attachment. We know how to be aware of it without superficiality, but without kind of trancing ourselves out, like how to be aware, relaxed, not controlling, aware in a way that supports interest, like really being there, not in autopilot. So then when we get distracted, which of course the mind's going to get distracted, but that really beautiful way the mind, wisdom, has been relating to the breath, then any distraction that shows up, that really wholesome way of relating will be all online, ready to notice the distraction. Same balanced attention, same fullness of attention, same sort of like uh, relaxation, non-grasping. So then we start to learn a lot about the pattern of distraction because distraction's being met with this really grounded, balanced, intimate presence that we've gotten in the habit of having with the breath. And this is just not true with our formal sets, but all day long, because like I could be in a really hot, difficult meeting or something, and I could ha- come back to my breath. And because I've been training with my breath, the way my mind is now relating to the present moment really comes into this beautiful balance. And then I open back up to the conversation, the difficult conversation, but now I'm in a more balanced place. So this is one of the reasons we train with the body, we train with the breath is, once we have that habit of having a really balanced, wholesome way of relating to the breath or to the body, then we can tap into it any day, at any moment during the day Awareness comes back into balance, and then we open up to whatever we have to manage, like traffic or difficult interaction. Yeah, thanks, Julia. Yeah, Tom, do you want to go next? Thank you. Mine's just a comment anyway. I just wanted to say about you talking about taking a breath during your meetings. Uh, An acquaintance of yours who does the prison program out in Folsom, California, works with some really tough characters. And one of the things he suggested was to take the three-breath highway sometimes during the day. And so just catch yourself and just take three mindful breaths, and it just kind of evens things out. And I use that practice a little bit, and I teach it to in my work too. But three-breath highway, that's all you got to do. Yeah. And, and for a lot of us, what we're going to notice is it's not easy. And that's really important feedback, like, well, that's interesting. My mind is not willing to be with three breaths. What could be going on that I can't take whatever that is, 45 seconds, to just be with the bodily experience of breathing? How could it be that important? Yeah, Dan. Yeah, I'm Dan, and I think my question is a continuance of this, where, well, like this morning, I just had a real pleasant peace and I was watching my breath and enjoying it and just grateful for it. But then I get into that 
part where <clears throat> the, you know, where I want to acknowledge the peace that I have, you know, I'm experiencing peace. And, and this is more of a me thing, but that tends to awaken my mind and bring up all sorts of other activity. So I'm caught in that catch-22. I kind of know what your answer is going to be. <laughs> That's what I <laughs> so, so give yourself the answer. Seriously, I do. But I'm in that catch-22 where I, I, I rather enjoy the, the piece and, and what I, all that I get from it. It's, it's very meaningful to me. And I, I don't want to engage myself. And the answer is watch yourself get engaged, you know. And um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I understand in totality what that is but there's a part of me that just like no <laughs> so yeah but I that's yeah, honest. talk a bit more about that yeah yeah and yeah i want to pass it over to helen next um we actually start get i mean we sort of l- learn how i uh, learn a lot about the buddhist teachings by working with difficult experience and then we start having more moments like dan described as where some peace comes in some calm comes in and it really can throw us for a loop because it's activating a whole different set of habitual mental energies around pleasant. So it's just kind of, we should expect that because we're mostly practicing with the reactive habits of our mind around unpleasant experience, right? And so we get better at that initially. And then as we have more pleasant experience, both in our formal sets and just through the, throughout the day, well, pleasantness, calm is a pleasant experience. It's going to trigger like thinking about how nice it is, thinking about how I should go on more meditation retreats or I should sit longer or everybody in the world should be meditating like this. And so it activates a different category of proliferation, mental activity, right? But the key is to notice the pleasantness of the calm. And we'll get there, right? Because as we go to steps three, four, five, and six, it's all about using the the unavoidable pleasantness, inner pleasantness that starts to happen because the mind is unifying. The energies of the mind are starting to collect all kind of in the service of being present. So the mind is really coherent, Solid, you could even say, stable. And that feels good. Initially, it feels good in terms of calm, then a really beautiful joy, then a more resonant ease. And the way the Buddha uh, sets up the instructions is the actual physicality of the breath begins to shift into the background, and the joy, or the calm, joy, and ease comes into the foreground of attention because that's actually what's predominant. And so it's breathing in, noticing the calm, breathing out, noticing the calm, or breathing in, noticing the joy, breathing out, noticing the joy, breathing in, noticing the ease, breathing out, noticing the ease. Because the way to interrupt the reactivity to the pleasantness that comes as the mind, heart settles down is to be intimate. It isn't to tell ourselves to stop proliferating or to stop reacting. It's to like really be close, because we have to learn how to be intimate with joy. Like I said, it's relatively easy to be intimate with difficulty. It's harder for us to be intimate with joy because we want to do something with all that joy. And part of developing samadhi is to feel really good, 
but to not feel we have to do anything with all that bright, good energy. Because that uh, will allow the mind to settle into a deeper state of concentration. And then that's the mind that can really have insight, see deeply. So we need pleasantness in our sits to deepen the meditation. And the way we work with it is we let it become part of the meditation object, what we're paying attention to. We have to, and, and this is really what the heart wants. It wants to be intimate with this inner quality of samadhi, the good feeling of samadhi. Yeah, Helen, you want to go next? Um, you know, I like that open awareness, but I notice with open awareness, after about 20 minutes, it will just go to the breath. But I've been working with um, focusing my attention on my third eye, and that stops my thinking. And um, then I can kind of be with the breath without trying to, because it's stopping the thinking, and, and all I see is the breath. And I like this. Yeah. But see, one of the things, so Helen's a long-time meditator, so different instructions for people in different places in their practice. But one of the things to remember with something like the breath, the breath is a relatively gross phenomena, right? I mean, we're talking about physical touching, the air touching here, or the physical, the sensations of that physical movement here. But as the whole system, mind-body system settles down, then what actually the mind can be interested, it's going to be more subtle and refined. But if you're asking the attention to be aware of something gross, the wisdom is basically going, there's so much subtle stuff that's actually relevant. Why do you want me to pay attention to something gross, like the touching at the nostrils? So, you know, you just found that, like, there are different energy centers that start to come online as the attention and the whole kind of mind-heart gets more settled, right? We just feel the body not in our ordinary sense of weight and pressure and you know the aches and pains of an ordinary experience of body, but we start to feel the body as a movement of energy. And that movement of energy is quite coherent when the mind is very subtle, very balanced and, and uh, settled. And so... This is like when you look at these 16 steps, it's only the first two steps where we're really having the grossness of the breath as the, in the forefront as the meditation object. Then the breath goes to the side, to the periphery. It's there, but the mind is looking at successively more refined objects of experience because that's what the mind will be interested. When the mind is refined, then it's interested in refined objects. When our mind is gross, we have to give it a gross object. If we're out in the middle of the day and things have triggered us and we're really angry, you know, noticing the third eye is not going to work or noticing a subtle experience isn't going to work because the body and the mind is in a very gross, gross state. So you need to give it a gross object, something like if you act out this anger, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. That gets the mind's attention. Or feel how contracted the body is, right? Those are good objects to start with. Or, you know, go do a stomping practice. Like go walk around the block, even if you're stomping, and just feel that can help to sort of break the cycle of, you know, being enraged. And so that's just a general teaching point that 
understanding how refined the mind is, you know, an ordinary mind at one end of the spectrum, pretty superficial, needs a pretty obvious or concrete meditation object. But when the mind's over here, the concrete meditation object may not be appropriate, right? It may need, you can use the rhythm of the breath, meaning the mind knows that it's breathing in and out, but what it's actually interested in is a more refined aspect of the present moment. Because it it demands appropriately this sort of refined attention to something that's subtle. And that's interesting. You don't want to give it, it's like giving a, a fourth grader kindergarten work. They're going to get bored. right? And so when the mind's really refined, it wants to be intimate with something refined. That's just the nature of a refined mind. Yeah, thanks, Helen. Mark, yeah. I have a question. Um, oh, Mary. Last week you had mentioned that for some of us it may be very difficult to work with the breath. And I didn't think that was going to be me, uh, of course. And so one of the interesting things is I work with the long breath often to calm my sympathetic nervous system. And then a little breath work, but I mostly work with open awareness. And actually, I started in Zen, so I often will work with eyes open. And so this week was so much anxiety, panic, claustrophobia. I even, like, would have to go lie down sometimes on the bed. And so you might, I don't know if you have a few words for those who found um, the breath work. And I know sometimes Patrice will uh, invite folks not to work with the breath. Um, if Sometimes the breath may be a difficult place for people. And if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, because what we're working with is an exclusive object of meditation. It doesn't really matter what it is. And, you know, for example, people who've had a real history of asthma or or other breathing difficulties or somehow have trauma located in the body related to the breath, you know, from some past difficulty, abuse or something, then that more refined and close and continuous attention to the breath, it may not be the appropriate. But the the basic idea of using an exclusive object of awareness could be very good. You can even use something like hearing or touch points. Like one of the common things, just feel, you know, just decide rather on maybe three touch points. Like you bring your attention to the left sits bone. And you just feel that place right here where it's making contact with the chair or the cushion. And you're there for four seconds or so. And then you feel the thumb on top of the other thumb. you know. And then maybe you feel your lips. So just ordinary uh, touch points in the body. And you just connect with one. You connect with the second. You connect with the third. You connect with the first. right? So because what you're giving the mind something to do is something that it can gross enough that with an ordinary state of consciousness it can develop some continuity and be in this interesting dynamic like as I as the mind expresses interest for the meditation object and in a full and continuous way, then without me doing it, I'm letting go of the whole world of whatever else the mind might be thinking about or doing, right? because I've got the next touch point to connect with and the next touch point. So feel free to use any object that works for you. I think I mentioned this last week. I'll be talking in the context of breath, but you can just substitute what your meditation object is other than the breath, right? Because it, it isn't about the breath. 
the, one of the nice things about the breath is as you settle down, the breath gets more refined. So then the, it demands like a more refined kind of listening in order to be aware of it. So it's sort of a, a particularly nice meditation object that it changes as things settle down, it becomes more refined. But that's okay because uh, a lot of objects work. You know, we're just sort of picking an object where the mind is willing to gather and be continuous so that it can experience what happens when the mind lets go of everything else. Right? You see how it's really related to awakening because awakening, in simple terms, is abandoning attachment to the world. Right? So being in the world, having a life, responsibilities, a conditioned mind with its preferences, but not identified with that. So when we do a concentration practice like we've been doing these last few weeks and will for a couple more weeks, it's a little taste of that because we're saying you get to be interested in one thing, right? And in really cultivating that interest in one thing, that continuous interest, continuous attention one thing, you're demonstrating to yourself you can let go of being attentive to everything else because in order to be aware, attentive to that one thing, we're making a choice of not being aware of everything else. And so the mind's learning a lesson like everything else can be put down. Just like when you have a tantruming child who wants to play with your cell phone and you get another toy and you say, hey, look at this, right? And it let's go of the cell phone. You take it away. And we're sort of doing that a little bit. We're saying, okay, we're training the mind to get interested in this one thing so it lets go of everything else. And then the mind experiences what it's like not to be obsessed with everything else. My to-do list, this, the past, the future. And that's that good feeling I was talking about, the calming, the joy, the ease. It's really the initial taste of there being less agitation due to the mind being pushed and pulled by its likes and dislikes. Yeah, thanks, Mary. Uh, hello. Someone has the mic, Me? I think. Yeah, yeah. Nang. Hi, uh, my name is Ning. Like, when I do, I came to do mini test, and then I, my, watching my breath, and then after that, my mind just jumping to the, uh, jumping to the loving kindness, you know, without the control or anything. Like, similar, like, I training that all the time, all the time, and then, easily to be connecting with the loving kindness. Yeah. It does, and then my heart feels soft. And then I said, even I do loving kindness to somebody else, you know, like with the gross thing, some kind like that, they do that to me. I said, I do loving kindness. That person doesn't know anything. And why I have to feel good about myself. No, and I said, this is the way I love myself, you know. That's, that that is I love myself. I just make myself love myself then then I let somebody know, you know, I I I I hate them. Mm. That I say, Oh, this is the way I love myself then I hate then I know I didn't know that is that is the way I have to be find a way to be caring for myself then. 
try to let my mind, you know, get allowed, hating, thinking all that kind of thing with the people, yeah. you know, with the object, the people. You sit over here, you're thinking about you hate all the people, you the past. They didn't know anything about it. <laughs> the thing is to harm you, and then I say, oh, no, it's not work. I get that right? I think so, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because you've worked so much with loving-kindness practice, just see if you can let it be right there with the breath, right? So you can even, like, as you're feeling the breath coming in, it's almost like a movement of love. And as you feel the breath, and as you begin, you know, with the, sec- uh, the third and the fourth instruction, feeling the whole body as we breathe in, feeling the whole body as we breathe out, and calming the whole body as we breathe in, calming the whole body as we breathe out. It's really appropriate for people who have an attraction and have done a lot of training with the loving-kindness practices to let that rhythm of the breath be also a rhythm of love in and out, a kind of a mixing and a radiant sort of spreading of that loving feeling. It's really appropriate so that's why we do the training. And the other thing regarding what Nang, Nang was talking about is when we, you pick up a concentration practice, the mind is going to want to return to other concentration practices. So some of you maybe did some mantra practice back in the day. And now you're doing this. And you might notice that that sort of wants to kick back in. So uh, just kind of be um, clear with your mind. Like, oh yeah, the mind recognizes that unification and it wants to go back to what it used to do it with. Now with something like loving kindness, you can really integrate. But other things you may not want to integrate. You might not want to integrate your mantra practice in with the breath. So then you have to be a little firm with yourself. No, this is what we're doing now. We're just with the sensations. But this one of the nice things about developing loving-kindness practice, it can really go, it can really be integrated into anything because it's meant to correct our attitude, any sort of aggressiveness or impatience or irritability. The Having done the loving-kindness practice really balances the mind in a really good way. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Nang. Yeah, hi, hi, I'm Brenda. I'm kind of new to meditation and all this. Um, so my experience today, um, and I've been meditating um, off and on, sporadically. Um, I have chronic pain along with acute pain that just takes me out of where I'm peaceful. So uh, I had a question. I was wanted to talk about it earlier, but then some of it's been answered. Um, do I just need to trust that when I... The more I can focus on the peaceful and attach, you know, and get rid of that attachment that, you know, the books I read and the things I hear, if I can just let go of that pain, it'll go away. Do I need to just trust that and and learn to focus on peaceful? And you more people that have done this more that will because I will trust <laughs> and I will do it. Let's take a vote. Let's take a vote. You know. It, or what's your suggestion for, you've kind of answered it, or people have, when it, when it just, I'm peaceful, and then boom, I, I'm just pulled away. Yeah. Well, and I try to bring it back, and I try, and it's just like there, and it, <laughs> yeah. so what, 
suggestions or do, is it just a practice that has to be honed? Yeah, well, there is pain, obviously, and the pain has different origins. And some of the pain is because we're afraid of the physical pain that we have. That pain can go away. The resistance, the pain that is related to resistance, the pain that's related to not liking the physical pain, that mental pain absolutely can go away, can be dropped in a moment's notice. But there can be physical pain, obviously, that doesn't go away. But what the mind, but even what that pain is, what our subjective experience of pain is, uh, really depends on the kind of wisdom that there is in the mind. And the image the Buddha used is, if we take a cup of salt, and here the salt represents like a physical disorder, like a a bruise or whatever, an injury, and we add it to a pint of water, a cup of salt to a pint of water, that's really going to affect the pint of water. But if we add add a cup of salt to to Lake Superior, it's not really going to have an effect. So when there's a lot of wisdom, it's not that the pain isn't the pain, but the mind, there's two things that are happening. The mind isn't resisting the pain, and the mind isn't confused. <clears throat> I mean, these are related things. The mind isn't confused about the pain. There is some value in retreating, like not paying attention to the pain. So when you coax the attention to be with the breath and you have a more exclusive attention with the sensations at the nostrils, you'll get a real vacation for moments at a time, depending on how much training or momentum you have in that exclusive attention, when you're just with the touching or some aspect of breathing in and breathing out, then the attention is not with the pain in the body, whatever it might be. And there's a real vacation. But we're also really sensitizing the mind. So then, like you described, Brenda, when the attention goes back to the pain, it's a much more alert, much more relaxed, much more sensitive awareness. So the pain, because of the quality of awareness, it's going to appear bigger. Because Not because the pain is bigger, but because the mind, the heart, is much more sensitive. Whoa! Because when we're with the in-breath, it's like we're letting the in-breath be the entire universe. There is nothing else but in-breath. And then nothing else but out-breath. And then all of a sudden, some quiver of pain somehow interrupts that continuity and awareness opens to that. But now this is the awareness that is letting each object be the entire universe. So then the pain looks and feels like the entire universe, completely overwhelming. So samadhi or this concentration we're doing cuts both ways. It actually delivers real vacation from whatever sort of sense impingement, sense experience is sort of causing irritation or triggering, you know, unpleasant experience. We get a real break. We get a real refreshment because it's like watching a good movie. Your chronic pain, probably, if it's a really engaging movie, it's not a big deal. But then the movie ends. And we're used to being absorbed, and now we feel like under assault. Everything that we hadn't been aware of the last hour and a half is as if it's been waiting for us. 
and it feels can feel like it. And then we're desperate for another good movie or whatever it might be to distract. Yeah, please. Well, then I'm also this other part is that I'm I'm understanding with myself that I need to have more compassion to accept my pain so I can be with it better. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Instead Absolutely. of fighting it like you had talked about earlier, instead of fighting those things just to build it, understand it and just be with okay with it's here. It's right. part of what's going on. And the interesting thing is the unpleasantness of pain isn't as it isn't a solid edifice as if we as we imagine it to be. So there, there's really room for a lot of humility of what we think pain is. Pain is something, unpleasantness is something, but we should have a lot of humility so that when we actually look at the pain, and in particular the unpleasantness of it, we're seeing the unpleasantness of it because we often, out of habit, draw a conclusion, this is unpleasant, this is not okay, I have to, you know, just being with it is not an acceptable answer. But actually it might be an acceptable answer. And when you look around and we talk to friends and we see that human beings are capable of being with a lot of unpleasantness. And uh, the big problem, you know, and it's like we can even look at our own life. Like, uh, you know... obviously haven't given birth, but we look at people who have given birth a number of times, you know, and it's like, or any number of sort of difficult experiences that people have done a number of times, and what can get normalized is that really should blow our minds, because it really is amazing what people can, not in a unhealthy way, but actually in a relatively un, uh, relatively healthy way, learn to normalize this amount of grief or this amount of physical pain or this amount of whatever difficulty. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we need to end uh, with this last here with Shannon. So I sort of have a mental catalog of what you've been talking about, and I have a few points of questions of clarification. Um, one was <clears throat> what, when you're talking about Helen's question, what does the more refined, I need an example what what's the what are the more refined objects that we should be paying attention to or i don't know if striving for is the right word or yeah. whatever when we get to that then another question um i mean you and i have talked about this but um loving kindness um how do we integrate that into our like more of our practice cuz i mean i i know i went on retreat last year or earlier this year and I realized okay I really need this um, but it's a continuing challenge to figure out how do I integrate that into my regular practice um, and then there's one more question that I forgot <laughs> well the first two will probably take so the first in responding to Shannon's first question um, Gabe Keller Flores our um, office manager has put the 16 steps up on the weekly email, so where this Sunday morning and the other two practice weekly practice groups are listed, there's a link to the a lot of resources, and the first one that's listed there are the 16 instructions, and I'll just go through them quickly. So the first two are breathing in and out, just being with the breath in an exclusive way, 
and just noticing how the physical phenomena of breathing gets more refined as there's more continuity of present moment awareness with this exclusive object. And then the first subtle object is noticing that awareness is inclusive. So whole body, breathing insensitive to the whole body. Next one is calmness spreading through the whole body. So that's the actual object of awareness, the spreading of calm. Then the spreading of joy, then the spreading of ease, and the spreading of dispassion, and the quieting of the thinking mind, and then experiencing the space of the mind, so just the space of knowing is an object. Now that's a subtle object, right? And then the gladdening of that space of mind, like, whoa, it's quite beautiful, noticing its beauty. First you notice the space of knowing, then you notice it's truly a thing of beauty, and then you notice it quieting, the space of mind, you notice the stillness of it, and the emptiness of selfing in it. Right? So that's the next set of four. And then how everything's a flow, everything's in motion, impermanence, right? Like, so you're, that's the object, that whatever the mind is known, you're noticing it's in motion. There's nothing static. And you're noticing, because it's everything's flowing, nothing is worth grasping. And you're noticing, you're really sort of solidifying that inside of cessation where there's no selfing. And that leads to the insight into awakening, right? Which is the last of the 16 instructions. So there's a whole map of gross to subtle objects. Now there are other subtle objects, right? And that are relatively wholesome. But the Buddha's outline or mapping out how... Um, kind of a very conditional way that awakening happens by noticing these particular subtle or more and more subtle objects. Remind me of your second question, Janet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so just to remind folks that we have a drop-in loving-kindness practice on the first Friday and self-compassion on the third Friday of most months. Check the weekly or the calendar. But uh, those are drop-ins 7 to 8.30 where you can develop the practice. And then, as I was saying with Nang's comment, it's like once we've spent some time keeping love in mind, any particular flavor of love in mind, but we have to train that one, even when we're in an ordinary state or kind of irritable, that the mind, wisdom, we can find our way back to an actual authentic experience of kindness even if it's quite faint it's real and that's really our human responsibility it's like if you want to be a human being then if someone were to come up to you and quiz you okay right now i want you you've got 10 seconds at the end when i get to 10 your attitude of mind has to have some flavor of love or kindness we should be able to do that i mean like i said we could always like i don't care about you but I do care about my body. Or I can remember that I care about my cat. When I bring my cat to mine, I remember holding my cat next to my chest. There's a little kindness there now in my mind. right? So then I got myself back. Then the practice is keeping it in mind. So this is the basic training. There's a lot of creativity involved, like what images we use. But once we get good enough, then we can keep love in mind without remembering my cat or remembering a situation or connecting with my care for my body because the attitude of love, whatever the flavor of it might be, 
I can find my way back to it. And then it will be there naturally when we do the in and out breath and all the other steps to the breath. But one thing you might want to do at the beginning of your sit is just remember your motivation, like I care about my life. So it's you're bringing up self-compassion right then. And not only do I care about my life, I care about my kids. I care about this messy world where so many people are being hurt. I don't want to add to the suffering. Right, and so then the whole practice, what we do after that, is really infused by that c- compassionate tone. Yeah, thanks, Shannon. And I see the kids are there, so let's let them in. Thanks for all the great questions, everyone, and comments. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.